0: Okay, here we are. Uh, Our reading for the day. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God that he may hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. I think of God and I moan. I meditate and my spirit faints. You keep my eyelids from closing, I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old and remember the years of long ago. I commune with my heart in the night. I meditate and search my spirit. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love ceased forever? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? And I say, it is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. I will call to mind the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is so great as our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have displayed your might among the peoples with your a strong arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. This is Psalms 77, 1 through 15.
1: Amen. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Pastor My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm one of your pastors here at Zao. Um, and it is again so good to be with you in an unseasonably warm day on the lawn. I love it we 've got the the fall looks and the the you know the leaves and the sweaters, uh, but we don 't have to have our actual like heaters out on the lawn. So God has granted us one more wonderful, beautiful fall day to worship together safely outdoors and Right now we are in the midst of a series called "Naked as We came," which is A collection of theological reflections that uh, really came to me and bubbled up within me as I was on parental leave and up many, many, many late nights, um, feeding our our new baby, who is going to be four months in two days, and that is just blowing my mind. Um, This little miracle is growing into herself as a human being, and it's incredible to watch. And I'm trying to learn from her as she learns everything about the world because I know that God made her in God's own image and imbued her with so many gifts, so many gifts that we are invited to emulate as God tells us to be like the little children. And one of the things that really struck me a couple weeks ago was, you know, we have this routine now um, where I try and sleep and she wakes up. And she screams for me, loudly. She does not like being hungry, she lets us know immediately. We thank her for being very expressive with us. Thank you for letting us know what you need, Micah, loudly and persistently. And uh, and I feed her, and then I try and rock her back to sleep, and I go back to sleep, and this happens, you know, two, three, maybe seven times a night. It's exhausting. But it is necessary, and it is how we form our relationship with our child who has come into the world and needs us for everything. And uh, uh, one of the nights recently where we had this pattern, I noticed this dynamic that she, she wailed she wailed it took me a little bit extra time i think to wake up i might have been more groggy and so i come into the room and she's in her crib wailing and i turn on the soft little light and i move into her field of vision her field of vision which is just now developing right she's just at this point where she can see more than like a few feet in front of her face but she sees my face and she goes in an instant from wailing to breaking out in this huge smile with a squeal of delight and recognition. And I couldn't help but laugh as I scooped her up into my arms and held her until she started wailing again to remind me, Baba, I am still hungry. (laughs) This trust that Micah has in me, that when she cries, I will come, That when I arrive and I show her my face, that she is going to be held and loved and cared for and provided for. This is the kind of trust that we see described in scripture. One of our habits every night with Micah is to um, sing a liturgy of evening prayer. And one of the lines is a psalm that says, Oh God, I call to you. Come to me quickly. Hear my voice when I cry to you. Now, we sing that every night. I sing that to her every night, hoping that I will begin to internalize it, that, God, I need to call to you. When I call to you, come to me quickly. Hear my voice when I cry to you. But I have so often forgotten to cry out to God when I am cold or hungry or lonely or scared in the night. I have lost that trust that God will come to me always. It's not as instinctive in me anymore, and I have to work to remember it every day. And this is what the scriptures do. They help us remember our relationship to God. They encourage us to remember to cry out, to remember that God will hear and will come. And meanwhile, I have this little tiny person showing me every one to three hours how exactly that dynamic works. Now, Scripture tells us to believe in God and to trust in God. But that has become such ubiquitous advice that it it starts to lose meaning a lot. We see it more often in embroidered pillows and memes on Instagram. And it becomes just this refrain, trust in God, trust in God, trust in God. Athletes attribute wins to their trust in God. Actors give acceptance speeches demonstrating that their trust in God is what got them there. But people talk about it as though it is a light switch that can be turned on and off, and it is a fundamental good. You should trust in God, therefore do it. To me, it feels a little more complicated than that. Anybody? When I was in premarital counseling with Cameron... uh, We were preparing to be married, and so we did what we actually invite all people who get married at Zao to do, which is spend some time in counseling together um, with a professional who will help navigate um, the early days of marriage. And one of the things that came up was uh, that I had some trust issues. And our therapist told me at one point, well, Jonah, you need to trust him. And I almost walked out of the room because I was like, okay, easy for you to say, therapist. Like, what does that even mean? How do I do that? I have been wounded. I have been hurt. Mostly not by Cameron, but I carry these wounds and this fear with me. And so in those moments when I forget who Cameron is, when I forget who I have married, when I forget the person that God has called me into relationship with, all I am left with with is the memory of those who have hurt me and the scripts that I have running to protect myself. And one of those is about distance. It's about armor. It's about not trusting in anyone. So how can I remember that Cameron is a trustworthy and good partner? This is one of the challenges of all relationships, including our relationship with God. How do we remember that God is trustworthy? That's another thing that we take for granted, that God is trustworthy, that trusting in God is merited because God can be trusted. But we don't say that without evidence. If we look to the scriptures and how God characterizes God's self, along with all the people of God who have written and sung and prayed about God, we see a theme, and that theme is the Hebrew word emet. Emet is a word that God uses to describe God's own self. In Exodus 34, when Moses is up the mountain and getting the tablets and establishing the law and bringing all of this good prophetic word to the people from God directly, God names God's self and says, Yahweh, I am I am compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. And that word faithfulness is that Hebrew word emet. Now, emet means faithful, as it has been translated often in that passage. It also means steady and trustworthy. You see, we often think of trust or faith as being ideas. You're supposed to believe in God. That means you're supposed to agree that God exists or agree that God is in charge. But that's not what faith is about. Faith is about trust. And trust isn't about information, trust is about love, trust is about relationship, trust is about vulnerability. When my daughter is vulnerable with me in the middle of the night and sees my face and trusts that I'm going to scoop her up and hold her with love, that didn't come out of nowhere. She actually didn't come out of the womb with that reaction to me. We built that over many, many sleepless nights. She learned that when she cried, I would come. And so she would cry again, and I got the opportunity to come again to be in trusting, loving relationship with her. And God is the same way. Trust in God is not an outside idea. Trust in God can only be contained within relationship between God and God's people. And that's one of the reasons we have scripture. If y'all know me, you know I love scripture. I love it. And the reason I love it is because it orients me. It helps me remember who God is and who God has been to God's people. Because the people of God know that we often forget. We fall out of relationship with God. We stop paying attention to the ways that God is trustworthy. And when we do that, we pull back. We diminish our relationship with God. And then how is God to show up if we won't cry out? How is God to be in relationship with us if we have turned away? Well, God breaks through and God finds a way. It's not up to us. But the scriptures tell us over and over again that when we forget, God remembers. That's basically the main theme of the Hebrew scriptures, that we have a God who remembers us even when we forget who God is. A God who is emet, faithful, trustworthy, steady. That same mountain that Moses is on getting the tablets from God, hearing God, claim God's own self and name as compassionate and faithful and trustworthy. The last time Moses was on that mountain, the people of God were downstairs building a golden calf because they had forgotten the God who would even be with them. They had, they had said, God is gone. We forgot about God for five minutes. We're going to make our new God. We're going to make a new God in our own image. That is how short the memory of the people is sometimes. And I got to say, I can relate Like, my memory of God's provision is so short sometimes. And so that's why I have to keep practicing remembering. Because that trustworthiness, that relationship, requires my participation. I have to come back into relationship with God. Trust is negotiated between people. And if God is trustworthy... It is only because we can participate with God, which builds our trust. But if we turn away from God's provision, or miss it, or stop looking for it, or don't recognize it, it creates this feedback loop where we turn away, we look elsewhere, we build our golden calves, and they don't deliver, and then we keep incurring those wounds of the world isn't trustworthy, that golden calf didn't come through for me. And we misapply all of those same experiences to God because we have forgotten that our God is different. That our God is the one who does remember when we forget. Back to my marriage and learning to trust because I think that deep relationship is the way we learn to trust God. We learn to trust one another and God's love, which characterizes our truest and holiest relationships, points us back to God. I've had to do some learning about how to trust Cameron. I've had to do some learning about how to show up to my relationship even when the fears of my old wounds want to keep me away. And one of the resources that I have found incredibly helpful for my remembering who Cameron is and what relationship is like is the Gottman Institute. These are professionals who have studied intimate relationship for decades, and they do it in incredible ways with all sorts of biofeedback which fascinates me But one of the things that they have named, that they have lifted up and held as essential in the thriving of a relationship is what they call positive sentiment override. Now there is positive sentiment override and negative sentiment override. And essentially it is about the orientation you have to the people in your life, to the person you love. Do you approach your relationship with the assumption that they are good? Do you approach your relationship remembering first and foremost those times of connection, of trust? Or has the relationship broken down to where you don't even look for those good things anymore? In fact, you're looking to be betrayed, you're looking for what is bad, you're looking for evidence that you were right all along and no one is to be trustworthy. Negative sentiment override can pull people away from each other, can can obscure the beauty and love that exists between people can amplify or even create negativity or hurts or wounds. But positive sentiment override looks for the best. Positive sentiment override assumes that a partner is there to be good to you. It trusts that the relationship is fundamentally good and looks for affirmation, sees even in the littlest things evidence of that connection of that holiness. This is true of our relationship to God as well. How we approach God, the assumptions we take to our relationship with God, affects our ability to even perceive God's goodness for us and to us in our lives. When we assume that God is not there for us, that God doesn't care about it, us, it becomes so much harder to see the truth That God is there always showing up for us, pouring love on us. Now a lot of us have a a lot of good reasons for that negative sentiment override. That doesn't appear out of nowhere. It's not a choice that we're making. It's not a moral failure when we experience that. It comes out of experience and wounds. It comes out of betrayal. But it is often misdirected. And Positive sentiment override is not actually about painting a rosy picture of the world. It's not about saying, oh, I'm going to pretend that I'm never hurt or never angry. In fact, it actually requires a tremendous amount of vulnerability to go to a person in your life whom you love and say, you hurt me, or I'm angry, or I'm lonely in this relationship. Positive sentiment override. Showing up for relationship is actually just about not checking out, not turning away, not assuming that God isn't there and doesn't care about you. And so, if you're feeling like there's not a whole lot of positive sentiment between me and God right now, that's okay. That's okay. Because it can also be an expression of deep trust to bring those feelings to God, to say, God, I'm angry. God, where have you been? God, this hurts. A number of years ago, I was in a place where I didn't think I believed in God. I looked around at the people in my life, and some of them believed in God and some of them didn't, and the people who believed in God, I was sort of jealous. I saw that they had a relationship that I didn't, but I thought that trust in God, belief in God was an idea I had to intellectually agree with, and I just couldn't get there. And so I thought, I can't believe in God. It's a deficit in me. But man, I wish I could. It looks looks good to be loved by God. And I, at that same time, was very depressed. Life-threateningly depressed. And in one of my lowest, most intense moments, I heard myself from the depths of my soul cry out in anger and betrayal, Jesus, where are you? Where are you? And way at the back of my psyche, a little light went on for me because I thought, ooh, it's hard to be angry at something you don't believe in. I knew that deep inside of me, I believed in God. I had enough of a relationship with God to feel deeply betrayed, to feel alone, to feel like the God who was supposed to be by my side wasn't there. And even though that can feel terrifying and lonely, it actually is enough of a spark of that relationship to open the door to healing, to open the door to trust, to open the door back to an intimate relationship with God. And the way in is not to deny those feelings of abandonment, but to name them, to shout them, to pray them. And this is what brings us to Psalm 77. We have an incredible example in the Psalms of what it means to both trust in God and therefore cry out in anger and disappointment and say, God, where are you? God, will you never again be favorable to me? It is my grief, it pains my heart that God must have changed because God isn't here anymore. And yet it is the drawing in to relationship that is required by saying all of those things. We have to be close to God to yell at God. We have to be close to God to confess our hurt to God. And the drawing in is what makes it possible then for the psalmist to make that turn and say, I will remember. I will remember the works of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. Because God remembers us. And so we too can remember God. And so the psalmist doesn't pretend that everything is rosy and good. But the trust we see in the scriptures is the willingness to take our hurts to God and to remember together that God has been faithful, that God is trustworthy, to remember the ways that God has shown up for us and for God's people and to let that serve as a doorway back into relationship. And it doesn't have to be 100% rosy and good all the time. It might be a little bleak for a little while. But we come to God because this, that, that spark within us longs for connection to God. And whether or not we can believe it intellectually, that spark is strong enough to bring us into holy and trusting relationship with the God of the universe the God who made you with the capacity to cry out to be heard and to break out in a smile of relief and delight when you finally again see the face of the God who created you who loves you who holds you close so what do you need to do to remember the God who remembers you we all have different practices For me, the scriptures and the psalms help a lot. But we all have different paths to memory. A lot of it is sensory. They say that smell is one of the most powerful senses for evoking memory. Is it incense that brings you back to God? Is it the smell of the ocean or the mountains? Is it a type of prayer Is it a relationship, a person who has shown you the love of God, who you can recognize God in and trust a little bit more? I have a really good friend who back in seminary was going through some very difficult times. And she told me once that she was looking for butterflies. I was confused. (laughs) Why are you looking for butterflies? You have your dissertation due soon. And she said, God speaks to me with butterflies and reminds me that God is there and I am not alone. And I'm going to be perfectly honest, I had a little bit of that skeptic in the back of my mind that was like, girl, you know there are butterflies around this time of season. Like, What is this about? This is is like a self-fulfilling kind of thing. This isn't evidence of anything other than that there are butterflies in this part of the country at this time of year. But As I began to sit with it, and I had to sit with it for months, it kind of just ruminated in my spirit because this highly academic, intellectual person was looking for something very common as evidence of God's love for her and presence in her life. And I thought that that was so strange. But as I sat with it and sat with it, I would check in with her and ask her how things were going in the difficulty of her life. And every once in a while, she would say, a butterfly landed on my shoulder or there was a butterfly on my windshield today and every time she would say that I would see in her how it drew her back to God I would see in her how she began to just release the tension in her body and I remembered that our God is not only a God who is trustworthy but a God who speaks to us in the language that we are prepared to receive We can come to God and let God know how to love us. We can cry out to God and God will hear our voice and respond. We can say, God, I'm going to look for you. I'm going to look for you in the butterflies or the changing of leaves or my mother's voice. I will look for you and I trust and believe you will find me. And every time God does, We are drawn back into closeness, back into relationship, back into trust. So I'll ask you again, what do you need to do? What do you need to ask for? What do you need to look for to remember the God who remembers you? I challenge you to just pick something, anything, and confess it to the God who is listening, who will meet you in that, who will find you, And remind you that you are loved and held in the middle of the night. Will you pray with me? Good and holy God, you have given us everything we need to be in trusting relationship with you. And yet the world batters us about, wounds our trust, makes it so difficult to even take a risk to believe that you might be there loving us through the night. God, give us courage God, give us creativity. God, invite us back into relationship with you so that you can have the space to show us your love. Let us look for your face as you shine upon us. And God, may we never walk alone in the night. Amen.